1: Welcome back to another edition of Sunday Focus. I'm being joined in the interview room today with Eric Muckey. He is the executive director and CEO of the Lost and Found organization here in Sioux Falls. Hey, Eric, good morning. Hey, good morning. Lost and Found is one of the many great organizations throughout the Sioux empire. So let's get started at the beginning of Lost and Found. How did it form?
0: Lost and Found is a comprehensive Sioux said prevention and postvention organization serving youth and young Adults in South Dakota and the surrounding region. Um, if you're not familiar with the world of suicide prevention, it might seem fairly straightforward, you know, trying to, you know, stop um, individuals from from dying by suicide. Uh, but really, what it means for us to do this work is um, we help people. Um, build resilience, live a life where they have, um, well, in, in simple terms, a good life. Um, all the factors that would help them uh, find um, community, find health, physical health, find mental health, all of those things, as well as supporting folks who have lost somebody to suicide. Mm -hmm. And so the journey to get here starts uh, in the Mitchell, South Dakota area. So if you're listening today from Mitchell, (laughs) around Mitchell, uh, nice to say hello to you. Um, A group of five 18-year-olds from the Mitchell area started this nonprofit. That sounds like
1: a joke waiting to happen. Well, I
0: would would jokingly say, not so jokingly, I don't know if we knew what the heck we were doing. But a friend of ours, uh, Dennis DJ Smith, uh, who is from the Mitchell area, um, or grew up in in Mitchell, graduated from Mitchell High School in 2010, um, had created a project out of a Facebook argument, which also feels like a punchline waiting to happen. Nothing good comes from a Facebook argument. And in that Facebook argument, he he was talking to somebody online about how effective were Others who said prevention organizations around the country. And this would have been, you know, 2008, 2009. Yeah. It, Facebook was blowing up. People were going there all the time, very different than today, so to speak. And what happened out of that argument was a really cool thing. He decided to create a Facebook group where he would engage people in, you might call it random acts of kindness, paying it forward, whatever that is. Um, but he coordinated almost 3,000 people. To go into their communities and share mental health resources with friends and have language and, and um, online resources that they could refer to to share with friends and family. Turn that into a student project in high school, went to a national conference. I happened to join him on that conference in Chicago. Shout out, Christine.
1: Thank you. <laughs> uh, and
0: out of that experience, we're on the bus ride home and he pulls five of us together again. All of us at the time happened to be from the Mitchell area. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we're going to start a nonprofit. And we all kind of look at each other and say, okay, sure. Sounds great. <laughs> um, he called me to, to join him as the treasurer, given that I was going to be starting college at the time for accounting, mm-hmm. which did not stick i i changed a few majors along the way a couple times just a couple times (laughs) and what ended up happening was this beautiful thing where um, a nonprofit was formed simply out of the audacity of uh, an 18 year old leader who saw something needed to be do we needed to do more to prevent Mm -hmm. suicide in our community and what that journey has taken then um all five of us ended up at the university of south dakota that following fall um, and from there, started um, kind of finding our footing of doing more to prevent suicide by creating student campus chapters, where student organizations on college campuses would reach out to each other, connect with counseling centers, find ways to share resources, and that model really evolved over the past you know twelve years into something that's become a lot more comprehensive where. We're providing evaluation and research services, helping organizations measure mental health outcomes. Um, we do a lot of training and education to the community for not just college students, but you know, broader audience. Mm-hmm. And do a lot of work with the state of South Dakota and the surrounding region to help them define what is best practice in suicide prevention, define policies and programs around that. So there's a lot. There's a lot more to lost and found, but that journey started with literally a group of 18 year olds who just decided, "Oh, we're just going to start a nonprofit one day."
1: Isn't that crazy to think about? Just a group of you guys coming together at 18 years old. Most guys, I should say, they don't know what they're going to do at 18 <laughs> years old. Not girls even, too.
0: No, that, that I nothing nothing in that moment would have ever prepared us for 12 years from now. Here's where we're sitting, yeah. talking and having this conversation, but to be on that journey and to see Um, Not just the need, but also just the opportunity to make an impact is really powerful. So for those of you listening who are, you know, in that age demographic and you're thinking about, you know, what can I do to change the world? Well, maybe start a nonprofit. You might find out.
1: You (laughs) might find out for sure. Now, Eric, you kind of touched on the services at Lost and Found. Can you kind of go more in depth into what those services are?
0: Yeah. So our programs cover four areas. Um, One is what we call student programs. So we train students on what it means to be a mental health advocate for themselves, for others in their community in the program called Lost and Found Advocates. Straightforward. Um, We have a peer mentorship program that we deliver on primarily college campuses, Uh, Mm -hmm. the training available for the broader community, um, and we also continue the work that was started about 12 years ago, which is uh, campus chapters. So we have student organizations currently at five, or, uh, five campuses in South Dakota and Minnesota um, that serve that purpose. We have that division. There's an evaluation research services division, which provides support to a number of organizations here in the Sioux empire and around the state and region. Basically saying if you have a mental health program that you're delivering or a suicide prevention program and you need somebody from the outside to evaluate how Mm -hmm. effective that is, we provide that service. We also do what's called education advocacy. So kind of feels maybe too basic to talk about when you talk about education advocacy. But truly training, educational presentations. um, We provide advocacy support in terms of policy, but also in terms of um, how do we get community members to get out and talk about this topic. And then most recently, um, we just went through. A merger uh, with an organization called Survivors Joining for Hope.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: they've been around in the Sioux empire for about six years, and they deliver what we call in the field postvention services, which is in this case, supporting um, suicide loss survivors. So people who have lost a loved one to suicide, um, the program's coming on through that merger. Um, we have a financial assistance program for uh, family members left behind by suicide. Um, and then as well, there's some other of policy supports programs that we provide as well as a survivor um, resource network so we're in the greatest sense of the word comprehensive is the word we use we are comprehensive
1: and always expanding, and too. Always expanding. <laughs> always expanding, coming up with new ways to reach out to the community. You know, lost and found. You already said it. It's a personal connection for you. This no. organization. Side note, everybody. I know Eric personally, <laughs> and I know that you have a special connection to your buddy DJ. So, mm-hmm. if you can, can you share that story with us? Yeah,
0: so, I, I mentioned DJ and sort of the founding story here a little bit, but DJ and I were friends from. Um, effectively, age fourteen on, um, and so we knew each other in high school. He went to Mitchell. Um, I went to a, a smaller school, Corsica High School, uh, about thirty minutes away from Mitchell. And we knew each other through an organization called Family, Career, and Community Leaders of America, which is the conference we're talking about in Chicago.
1: The organizations keep growing. It just keeps keeps <laughs> the acronyms keep getting better. Um,
0: basically, uh, we knew each other through that that group. Um, student organization in high school we spent a lot of time around each other we're involved in various things at the state level and we became really close because of that and became close in college because you know if you're starting a non with somebody you get to know them pretty well yeah. <laughs> to say the yeah, least right. and so over that period of time dj and i became very close friends um, he elevated me really throughout the organization and after uh, college he had to make a tough choice um, so as one does coming out of college, he joined the Peace Corps and was moving to Tanzania. Wow. Um, so, you know, big, big life transition. And at that moment in time, and this would have been 2014, four years into the organization, um, he had to make a choice to who who is this organization going to be led by for the future. And so he couldn't stay. And in that moment, I was dealing with my own battle with depression, suicide ideation. It was kind of a a weird time for me coming out of my undergraduate studies. And there was some moment of clarity to say, this is the path I need to take. And so I decided to step forward as the new chairman of the board. And that was sort of the place where I got to carry on DJ's legacy you know, while he was in Africa. Um, unfortunately, DJ also shortly after he left um, to join the Peace Corps, um, discovered that he had brain cancer and it, it turned into a long-term battle for him where it would kind of re- recur on occasion. Yeah. And in the past year, um, DJ had a, a recurrence that was very severe to the point where um, this past year took his life. So he's been, uh, DJ's passed, uh, passed about three months ago um, from this the point of this recording. And so, um now for me it's very much a personal thing to say how do i continue to carry on dj's legacy through this work and it's really important for us to um honor the the (laughs) honor the audacity honor the um the vision of there's got to be something better to what we're doing with suicide prevention and and we can talk about the problem of course but it's only gotten worse in the past 10 years and the need has only grown and so to be able to have that impact and, and honor DJ in the process as one of my closest friends is um, it's a really important thing for me.
1: Yeah. It's really rewarding too. If you are just listening, I'm being joined by Eric Mucky. He is the executive director and CEO for lost and found. Now you guys are still a fairly new organization here Mm -hmm. around the Sioux empire. You already mentioned that you have programs that not just reach out to adults, but college students. That's what your main focus is. So can you talk about lost and found's impact on those college campuses?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so today, uh, Lost and Found currently has five campus chapters, um, University of South Dakota, South Dakota State University, Dakota Western University. Um, We also have um, campus chapters at Augustana University here in Sioux Falls, and then sort of a budding um, group of student leaders, not maybe technically a chapter, but an organization at the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management in Minneapolis. Um, So we have committed student leaders who are running affiliates, essentially, of Lost and Found on those campuses, uh, but our campus footprint in terms of services covers all the way from um, Black Hills region. We're at Black Hills State University all the way to the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro, and so 13 institutions have been touched by our programs. Um, campus chapters are the root of who we were and who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, our work now very much focuses on how do we make sure that we're equipping students with skills to support each other now, and so especially coming out of the pandemic where. Students weren't able to meet with each other. You know, in-person meetings weren't really a thing. Um, Having that opportunity to go virtual and get trained to be an advocate for yourself, for others in the community, take on projects, um, and then be able to also say, you know, how can I provide peer mentorship in a one-on-one capacity? That's really what we do on college campuses today, Um, not to mention other tools we provide where, for example, um, we have a tool called the Campus Resilience Index, where we give campus administrators, so your your deans of students, your, mm-hmm. um, I mean university presidents, if you will, a chance to look at the data for their campus, some of which is public knowledge. You might not think of it necessarily as suicide prevention, but just certain certain numbers you might see might actually help you get to a, a point to say, here's our ability to prevent suicide. Mm-hmm. Aggregate that, give them a report, give them recommendations and give them a chance to say, OK, if we have this basic tool that we can use, then we can take actions that are helpful for our students. And it all kind of turns into this nice cycle that that comes up.
1: Sure. Yeah. Now, rough estimate for me. Yeah. How many students would you say benefit from lost and found? <laughs>
0: That's a great question. So I would say in a given year and, and this past year in particular, um, in terms of the number of student leaders who've gone through our trainings, especially, you can probably look at about 150, 200 students, which might not seem on, on his head like a large number. Put them in a room. Then it looks a lot larger. A big number. Yeah. Um, but think about it this way. If you have just maybe three or four points of interaction, three or four people that they might have a trusted conversation with on their campus, think three or four times that number. Let alone the reach of any content shared online, any content shared on campus, presentations. Sure. And so, you know, rough number you can get to this past year, we reached probably about five thousand students, and I think it'll probably be closer in the next year to about double that. So.
1: Wow. Yeah. They, I mean, it just shows that technology really does change businesses and organizations. And, and now we've talked about the college side of yeah. lost and found. Yeah. And what about the adults when they come to see you? What are they mainly looking for service wise? Mm-hmm.
0: Mostly what I would say adults are looking for. And, and you know, the, the mission of lost and found cover is ages 10 to 34. It's a pretty wide range of people. Yeah. And so when you're thinking of folks coming to lost and found as You know, an adult, they're not necessarily um, in school, at college, at technical school, whatever that might be. Usually they're looking to us for a resource to be able to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because the most important thing that we can give each other in mental health. supporting somebody with a mental health condition or in suicide prevention is the ability to have a conversation. So yeah. what we're doing right now is the best tool we have yeah. to prevent suicide. And what that looks like is giving people um, guides like our Let's Talk About Mental Health guide. Um, on face value, if you just grab the PDF on our website, you know it's 40 pages long, which might seem pretty daunting. But then you get <laughs> into the breakdown, and that's intentional to say, There's different topics you're going to need at different times, and you can always reference back to that um, things like our EARS framework, um, engage, attend, reinforce, seek, basic tools to say, okay, how do I go have a conversation Mm -hmm. with somebody about mental health? And that's probably the best service we can offer of, of all of them. But the other side of this, too. So if you're an adult and you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I support my friends and family, but maybe my organization? um, We offer a lot of training. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, kind of building on that. Let's talk about mental health guide. We have a lot of training attached to that. We have trainings that will be coming forward soon where um, our staff members are trained in what's called question, persuade, refer, mental health first aid. Those are tools that you can apply and and use to intervene. Um, But then also sort of, again, back to the measurement thing. Yeah, it's. I know people talk about data a lot and data is kind of this, you know, weird word to say like, oh, we have all this information about how things work. A big bubble. Big bubble. And Mm. the whole idea of how we use data is to say if we can help a community understand their mental health needs, if it can help them understand their capacity to prevent suicide, kind of like the Campus Resilience Index that I talked about a moment ago, but also getting to this sort of idea of. We can help community leaders measure their capacity for prevention those are tools that we can also provide on sort of a, a i don't know if i call it one-off basis but part of what we do the big thing though i'll say and you asked me about reach and sort of how many folks were actually mm-hmm. impacting I did not expect, and I I say this as probably an 85-year-old man in a 30-year-old body. Um, (laughs) I did not expect that social media would be such a powerful tool for what we do. Yeah. And pandemic really pushed us in a situation where we had to do almost everything digitally. And so um, in the last year, uh, we probably reached about two and a half million people online with... You know, you think of it as basic Instagram content of like, oh, yeah. here's a post with some text. Well, that post with some text has some real intentionality behind yeah. it to say, here's a message you might need to hear today. Here's, here's tips that you can take on to either understand mental health conditions better, talk about specific topics related to your ability to cope, mm-hmm. um, whatever that might be, let alone targeting, you know, again that guide I talk about, let's talk about mental health guide. It's a digital resource. Anybody can download it. It's free. Um, so getting that out to folks and, and having that kind of reach online is really what enables Lost and Found to be, again, comprehensive suicide prevention. Got to do it all.
1: Absolutely. Now, whether it's, College students or adults, how does it feel to be part of someone's journey? You know, what's the best part of being part of that journey to either start a conversation with their loved ones or even start a conversation with themselves and how their mental health is going? Mm -hmm. I
0: think the thing that I get most excited about is the
1: confidence it brings into somebody's life. Mm -hmm.
0: The, The ability to have a conversation and honestly, it goes even beyond suicide prevention, you know. When somebody thinks of suicide prevention you might think of the word like well i don't know if i necessarily relate because i don't i may not have somebody in my life who has um considered suicide attempted it died by suicide any of those things suicide prevention is really honestly about finding resilience and finding and resilience being the word of how do we live a life where we can adapt and how do we live a life where we can you know find wellness Mm -hmm. and so for me being able to have that ability to say to somebody you have what you need within you to have those conversations. Let me give you a few tools to give you some tips and make sure that you actually have the skills you need to feel confident in having the conversation. That's the best part of this journey, I think.
1: Absolutely. If you are just listening, Eric Mucky, he's the executive director and CEO of Lost and Found. Now you hinted at it already, but now we're going to talk about it a little bit. The last couple of years has been kind of crazy, hasn't it? Just a little bit. Just a little (laughs) bit. You know, the pandemic really tested everybody's mental health. And this is something that no one ever experienced. There was no playbook for COVID, as I like to call it. So how did your clients react to this pandemic overall?
0: Yeah, it's always interesting, Christine. Um, Our organization relied at the time on student organizations, student leaders who were meeting face to face when the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, No one had, to your point, a playbook. Um, And so when we think about what Lawson Found did at that moment in time, um, after about, you know, twelve hours of panic. <laughs> <laughs> twelve uh, hours
1: exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs>
0: Down to the minute. I can I can count it. Uh, <laughs> getting getting past that moment of okay, folks aren't coming back to school, folks aren't coming back to their, their places of work. It kind of dawned on us at that point to say, okay, we've got these materials, we've got these tools, how do we move them to a digital realm so people can still access what's going on? Yeah. And so really our reaction to that was, um, in a a weird sense, hey, it's time to start spending a lot more time on social media than we did in the past. It's time for us to start bringing in people who delivered uh, workshops, education sessions to students in a face-to-face manner and start adapting to Zoom. So... Not that we didn't know what Zoom was before, but... I know. didn't. I can <laughs> honestly say that. I knew Skype and that was it. <laughs> we, uh, we became pretty Zoom-savvy. We became very savvy with Facebook Live. And so mm-hmm. it kind of started us down a path that was probably honestly necessary as an organization to be a little bit more digitally savvy. And especially now, I mean, everything kind of runs back and forth between the two. So our, our I think our the big thing is our team reacted one way. The students that we served, I think, were... Um, Scared, concerned, um, unsure. I think the uncertainty, especially in those first few months, was just there's no there was no playbook, there was no clear guidance yeah. on what's gonna happen next and no one really knew what was happening. And so the mental health of our students became the priority to say, you know, you're isolated how do we how do we make sure that there's still a connection and that was really our our focus
1: absolutely how proud are you of your team and even your clients for adjusting that the way that they did during Uh, covid
0: i honestly christine like i promise i won't cry in studio but honestly it kind of it it brings a lot of emotion to be like we our organization i think found a way to navigate that in in the absolute best way possible i could not have I could not have had a better team to navigate. Do you want the,
1: the, me to push the tissues over your hour, way? <laughs>
0: our, t- our team, I think our team responded better than I could have anticipated. I think our students are, I think it was a true test of resilience for them as well. Um, what what gets me still is I think in this field, and I think people may not understand this fully, is when it comes to what our work is, this work's only going to get more important in the next few years because you know our lives seem to be going back to normal quote unquote mm-hmm. but the traumas and stressors that we we had to respond to probably created coping skills and new behaviors during that time that are not adaptive to where we are now right and kind of being again going back to normal so Those things are still carrying over for folks. And that's why it's still, you know, suicide risk might actually be higher now than it was during the pandemic, which is weird to say. And so I'm very proud of how we adapted. I'm proud of the way that our our students, the people we serve are adapting. Um, I think the biggest thing is we got to keep the ball rolling. And, And honestly, I think our services are probably needed now more than they ever were.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I can see why you would say that because no one really knows how to interact in person anymore. Yeah. College kids—they could be anxious, saying, "Oh my gosh, I actually have to look a certain way now, <laughs> or I actually have to speak in front of." We're no longer a class. on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So we're no longer, you know, familiar with that type of aspect, and in fact. Believe it or not, COVID is still around in some capacity with cases going back up. Not to mention the other governmental issues that are going on as gun violence and the recent Supreme Court's rule overturning Roe versus Wade. We're not going to get into those Mm -hmm. topics because that's not what that conversation is about. However, these types of topics do affect someone's mental health. So how is Lawson found responding to these internal conflicts that we're having.
0: Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing that we try to find is suicide prevention for us, fortunately, is really in talking of almost kind of the political sense. Um, it's probably the most nonpartisan issue you can pick yeah. up. I don't think there's anybody I know um, out there who would be opposed to saying, you know, it's it's worth our time to invest in saving somebody's life. And mm-hmm. so we try to stick to that as much as we can. But I think, you know, to be blunt, you know, responding to those issues, for us, we always try to go back to the evidence, right? And mm-hmm. say, what does the data tell us? What does, um, what are the institutions who've been working in suicide prevention for the better part of 30, 40 plus years? What do they know? And what we know from those situations is, politics honestly does have an influence on our especially our community interactions i i would say with probably a fair level of certainty that we've probably never been statistically more divided in terms of our approaches to sure, things yeah and the same thing can be said even for covid i think our responses were all very different um which honestly adds more stress and might actually increase suicide risk right. in some some ways um and the other side of this too is just thinking about you know when we talk about things like gun violence i i know a lot of folks will approach this as a suicide prevention organization and say well a lot of folks die by suicide using firearms as a, as a lethal means so we talk a lot about lethal means and getting folks to talk about, you know, with these topics, let's let's pull out of, you know, the divisive rhetoric for a minute and just talk about, you know, what's what's actually happening? How will this impact people in a real life way? Um, How will this contribute to their mental health? Or in the case of even the firearms discussion that's been going on around the country, new policies being passed. Mm -hmm. The best thing that we talk about is how do we make sure that everybody's securing a firearm? Um, That's the best thing we can do to be able to say, Suicide prevention is not in any way a divisive issue, but the ways we accomplish that hopefully can be brought above the fray by just talking about this is what the evidence tells us. And a lot of times the evidence for you and I, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, It's not anything you might be surprised Sure.
1: So it's basically what you're saying is it's important to have those conversations during this time and then finding a way to kind of adapt to as things develop more as time goes on.
0: Yeah, I think of it this way, you know, Lost and Found does not provide any counseling services. We're not an inpatient provider of mental right. health services. The best gift that we have in prevention is again conversation. And so the best thing that I can always say to folks is when you get into those conversations, pro tip, talk about, you know, I I feel this way for this reason and honor their feeling of of who the person you're talking to and say, you know, you might not disagree or you might not agree with them. Um, but if that's the way they feel about it, then that's something you can say, okay. Feelings aren't necessarily facts, but you might be able to get a better sense of who they are or what they're standing on based on that conversation. If you can start there and engage... Things are going to be a lot better and go forward. And you can also have a, a conversation that does not cost somebody's mental health the spiral. Which
1: absolutely, that's important. Very important. Again, this is Eric Mucky. He is the executive director and CEO of Lost and Found here in Sioux Falls. Now, lots of events go on for you yeah. guys because, obviously, an organization doesn't run alone. So what type of events do you have going on?
0: Yeah, so I know in this upcoming week, um, we will be hosting on, on Friday, July 22nd, the Long Ball 22 Classic Golf Tournament in partnership with... Oh
1: boy, do you need a playing partner? I think I might know someone. I...
0: <laughs> Come on, Chris. Time to, time to go play. Uh, we uh, we partner with a family here in Sioux Falls, uh, Paul and Lee Longley, and their, their organization just newly started, the Longley Family Foundation, uh, to honor their son, ben who died by suicide um and in that golf tournament uh there will be a course golf sorry Chris for now going to be playing it's already full so <laughs> 100, 144 players full field at Grand Falls Casino and Golf Resort uh, but the nice thing is we still have dinner seats open for that as well um, and there's also at that dinner there will be a silent live auction to participate in you can participate in the silent auction actually from anywhere for the few days leading into that we'll also have um, live recording artist blessing offer from Nashville Tennessee coming to join us that evening hey! too. So it should be a good great time Um And I know if you want to learn more about that tournament, you can go to longball22.resilienttoday.org. There's a few other events, though, coming up in September. I think the big one for us is always month of September is National Suicide Prevention Month. Mm -hmm. We'll have a full month. Um, I'm already kind of mildly tired thinking about it, Uh, (laughs) but we'll be kicking off September 8th. Uh, We'll actually have a ribbon cutting here in downtown Sioux Falls at our new office space, followed by an event at Severance Brewing Company, where we'll actually be hosting the first of a series of live podcasts. Wow. Our our podcast Great Minds with Lost and Found, hosted by Joel Kaskinen.
1: Of course, Joel. Joel, I know him too, Side (laughs) note. <laughs>
0: so we'll be hosting that at Severance brewing. The dates for the remainder of our tour We'll have three other um three other live podcasts rapid city brookings and mitchell um on the on the books. We'll be scheduling those out here in the next month um uh, but those events, along with um uh, we'll have a, a couple of fundraisers coming up one is in mid September uh September sixteenth we'll also be looking at one um just the week before Thanksgiving but again. We don't do anything without our community. This this work, you know, when we talk about even the research we do, mm-hmm. it's not like true like numbers where you are talking about looking necessarily just at spreadsheets all day. It's really like right. what is community-based research, how do we bring people together? Everything we do is about the community need, and this is an opportunity for us then to go back to the community and say, hey, we need your help. And so look ahead. I always say resilienttoday.org. It's kind of a mouthful, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T t-o-d-a-y dot org you'll find us there you can search lost and found on the interwebs as well as you can find us on social
1: alright awesome Eric Mucky again the executive director and CEO of lost and found thanks for joining us today
0: thanks Christine